This episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by the patrons of the Tube Podcast Network. Some personal heroes of mine like Chris Nelson, the top three podcast crew, Zul Geek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Jill, Kieran, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, aka Stormageddon, JD, and many more have all gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to throw me a few bucks and help support the shows. And I appreciate all of them very much, and you, listener, can be just like them. Once again, that address is patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Just a couple bucks a month gets you bonus stuff like voting on future games to appear on the show, bonus episodes, and much more. Any and all support in any form is always appreciated, and with that being said, let's get on to the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where most of the time I'm joined by guests to bring a game out of the backlog and talk about our experiences. That's not what we're doing today, though. I'm joined by two wonderful guests to discuss if video games need to be fun. Joining me today are, first up, Ryan Beatty from Lightning Strikes Thrice podcast. Welcome back, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me again, Dave. Yeah, looking forward to this uh, with you in particular. I had you in mind with this topic once again. <laughs> and we're also joined by a uh, first-time guest on the show, Brad Galloway from So Video Games. Welcome, hey, Brad. thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, uh, we're excited to have you too. And uh, we'll give at the beginning of the episode the customary time for both of you to um, explain what your podcasts are. So, uh, Brad, your first time on the show, we'll, we'll kick to you first. Uh, for people who may uh, be unfortunate enough not to know, what is So Video Games? <laughs> well, the So Video Games podcast is uh, a two-man show, generally. Uh, we have guests once in a while, but mostly it's just me and my co-host, Carlos Rodella. We're friends, and we go back a ways. Uh, Carlos had his show from a million years ago that I was on his show, and then he stopped that show, then I started my show and brought it back on my show. It's crazy. We can't <laughs> seem to stay away from each other. Uh, but basically, we go through... Any kind of game at all, like it's new stuff, it's old stuff, it's anything in between. It doesn't really matter. I mean, we'll dig up something ancient. We'll dig up something that just got released. We'll have something on sale. Uh, anything at all that catches our fancy. Uh, and usually we play a lot of games. We're a pretty, I don't mm -hmm. know, high calorie show. I usually bring at least three or four games a week. Carlos brings three or four. And within that discussion of those six or eight games, we usually talk about four or five more games just naturally. So if you like... A lot of games in a week, just a lot of just like rapid fire back and forth. Uh, and I, you know, I'd like to think that we're funny. I mean, maybe not. People <laughs> might disagree with me. Uh, but, you know, we try to keep it light and we try to keep it fun and we try to just cover a lot of stuff. Uh, and I, I think it's a, it's a pretty good show if you ask me. But of course, I'm pretty biased. Yeah. Well, I will, uh, I'll echo that and say that it's a pretty fun show that I enjoy listening to. Um, like you said, lots of games every episode. Um, you know, minimum of like five, even if it's like just you on the podcast alone, you'll bring a bunch of games to talk about. So it's like, I can tune in, listen for an hour, an hour and a half, however long the episode is, I'm going to hear about a bunch of stuff. And some stuff that sounds cool that I've never heard of. It's another thing I really appreciate 
uh, you and Carlos are always bringing stuff to the show that I've never heard of before. Um, and I, I love hearing about new games and, you know, new experiences that I might, you know, grow to treasure one day. So that's, it's really awesome. Oh, good, good. I'm glad you listened. Thanks so much. That's a really, really high praise. And you bring up a point that I probably should have made myself is, you know, we do try to bring stuff from all across the spectrum. I mean, not just the AAA stuff. We do play that. But, you know, we all have our our little idiosyncrasies, our little tastes. And, you know, I play a lot of like roguelikes and a lot of visual novels. Carlos likes a lot of open world stuff. And between the two of us, I think we have a pretty wide reach. Um, and we're always ready to support like the little guy, the indie or the, mm-hmm. the A or the double A. So if you want to hear something that's not just the hottest, biggest releases, I think we're a pretty good place to go. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so um, that is so video games. And Ryan, uh, Ryan was a guest on the episode of uh, Tales from the Backlog about Tunic, uh, which is a really good episode. I, I hope everyone goes and checks that out. Uh, so we talked about Lightning Strikes Thrice and other stuff on the Pitch Drop Network on that before. But uh, Ryan, could you give everybody a refresher in case they didn't listen? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so Lightning Strikes Thrice is the flagship podcast on the Pitch Drop Network. Um, there are a couple of other kind of specific enthusiast podcasts, but Lightning Strikes Thrice. <laughs> uh, if you if you like a lot of game instead of games uh, for the course <laughs> of several months, um, so we're we're a JRPG games club podcast that does extremely deep dives into single games at a time, uh, biweekly over the course of several months. Um, we kind of take it from start to finish and, uh, every couple of weeks, every episode, we, um, talk for two to three hours sometimes about, um, whichever section of game that we're playing so if you're familiar with a podcast like uh bonfireside chat it's like that but for uh jrpgs uh Mm -hmm. it started out as um just covering the final fantasy 13 trilogy and then once that was up we covered uh final fantasy 15 uh the xenosaga trilogy which was a lot of fun um shadow hearts 2 uh shadow hearts covenant i'm sorry and uh we (laughs) Uh, are in the process of wrapping up Final Fantasy VIII, which has been a lot of fun because uh, two of the co-hosts, one of which is me, have a ton of nostalgia and have a lot of like personal importance that we're bringing to this. And so we get to kind of like re-examine how uh, 30-something-year-old us uh, is relating to this versus how 13-year-old us might have related to it. And then mm-hmm. uh, our our third co-host um, fell off of it pretty quickly uh, way back in the day, and so she's approaching it for the first time. Um, it is often a lot of fun, a little bit chaotic. We like to um, bring critical analysis lenses into this and and really um, take the game as seriously as possible while not taking ourselves very seriously. Yeah, it's a uh, another show that I listen to. Like um, uh, again, I said this on the Tunic episode, but when you say deep dive, I mean deep dive. Like when you talked about Final Fantasy 15, it wasn't just the game; it was all the supplementary material too, and all of that stuff. Uh, so we have like the polar opposites, and I swear I didn't set it up this way. We have so video games with like ten video games per episode, 
And then we have uh, Lightning Strikes Thrice with 10 episodes per video game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like the exact literal opposite of our show. That's so funny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Tales from the Backlog is somewhere in the middle of that. Uh, so I'll give a preliminary recommendation at the beginning of the show um, to check out everybody who's listening. Check out So Video Games and Lightning Strikes Thrice uh, for all of your um, video game needs, no matter how many you need per episode. So <laughs> I appreciate both of you coming on to talk about our topic today. So I'll just get it started by saying this. There is a popular refrain that I hear out there all the time when you're talking about video games, uh, that if you're not having fun, then why are you playing that? Why continue with something that's not fun? So I started to think about that um, and wanted to discuss with you whether we think video games need to be fun, whether we think fun is the word that we should be using. And if you're not having fun, you're having some kind of negative experience, like you're lost or you're frustrated or it's tedious or boring somehow, whether that ever has value um, in video games. So I will, uh, let's see, I will kick it to Ryan first, just a general opening thought, um, because there, there's a reason I brought you on the show today. What do you think about this general topic of if video games have to be fun? So um, I want to start with a quote from the director, uh, Chantal Ackerman, who has been kind of uh, in the online discourse in late 2022, early 2023, because mm -hmm. she um, directed Jean Dielman, which... Uh, was at the top of the um, sight and sound best films of all time poll. And there was a lot of kerfuffle about it because it's a very slow and excruciating kind of movie. And um, she said, uh, when most people go to the movies, the ultimate compliment for them is to say, we didn't notice the time pass. With me, you see the time pass and feel it pass. I took two hours of someone's life. Um <laughs> <laughs> and she's saying that in a very positive way as mm -hmm. uh, to 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 speak to the to the to the power of her films um i don't think that there are that many video games out there that are trying to do anything close to what jean dealman was trying to do i want to get that i i want to get out in front of that but mm -hmm. i do want to say that i believe that tedium and friction and frustration are all a kind of active engagement. And while a game should be responsible with that, and it should be to a specific purpose, I do think that fun being the only metric is a very, no judgment, but a kind of a shallow way to approach, to approach game enjoyment and, and, and gaming as a hobby. And I, I hope that, uh, through this discussion, um, we can we can kind of hash that out a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, same thing to you, Brad. Just a quick opening, like just kind of opening thought about the subject of today's podcast. Well, I mean, kind of just to play off of what Ryan said. I mean, I I agree and I disagree, and I think really my, the heart of the heart of what I really feel about this is that uh, I don't. I mean, what does fun even mean? Fun is so subjective. Um, mm -hmm. I'll give you a, an example of how subjective it is. So I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, been there for 
uh, 23 years now. Uh, so a couple, couple minutes. Mm -hmm. And when I get <laughs> reviews from people, we absolutely, uh, forbid use of the word fun there. You will not mm -hmm. find a review on in 23 years of, of publishing that has mm -hmm. the word fun in it because it doesn't mean anything it means different things to different people. Um, and when you say, Oh, this game was fun. Well, okay. I mean, were you smiling the whole time? Were you super mentally engaged because the story was really interesting? Did you mm -hmm. love seeing the numbers go up because you were grinding on? Like, who knows? It does, it's so subjective. It doesn't mean anything. So mm -hmm. I, I want to say yes and no, right? So for me personally, um, I have reached the point in my life where I do not play games that are not fun for me anymore. I don't. I just stop them. But what does fun mean? It doesn't mean that I'm just hopping and bopping and shooting dudes in a first-person shooter and having fun. It means <laughs> I'm getting some kind of benefit from it. And I think that maybe that's kind of also um, kind of connecting with what Ryan was saying, where you must have some kind of engagement, where you may be going through something that is not fun in a traditional sense. Like maybe you're suffering through a really tough boss, but some part of your brain is enjoying that, right? Like you're like, oh, I'm getting a little bit better. I took off a little bit more of a health bar. This is, you know, it may not be traditional fun, but it's you're engaged and you're liking it on some level. That to me is the kind of fun that I look at. And if you're not having any kind of that engagement whatsoever, if you're not having that fun, yeah, you should bounce. Like that game is not doing it for you. You should get out of there. But, but again, what does that really mean, right? Yeah, I agree. I think that like... The, just the use of the word fun is kind of a, it, it's tied to the word game, I feel like. And, and not that I want to like litigate, like, let's come up with a new term for video games because it's outdated. I, that's not the point of this. But the the fact that video games have evolved so much in a short span of time compared to other entertainment media, you know, written word and uh, films and stuff like that has been around so much longer than video games have. So it's had, you know, people in recent memory where when you played a video game, I mean, like when I was a kid, the first game I ever played was Pac-Man and like Pac-Man's very simple and it's fun to run away from the ghosts and eat the little dots and stuff like that. But video games have evolved a ton since then. And I, I just don't, I think that fun is not the only like the end all be all anymore in video games. So if you're playing like a game that was designed to just be fun and keep you in the arcade and spending quarters and stuff like that, then yeah, maybe if you're not having fun, play something else. But that's the spectrum of video games is so much wider now. And there are so many other emotions and experiences that we could be getting that I, I think that this is a uh, like the term fun and video games need to be fun. It's a holdover from a much older era of video games. And the fact that games are less like digital games, they still are, but not all of them are that first and foremost, and they're more interactive experiences. Now we open up the the range of emotions and experiences that much more uh, because it's, it is an interactive art medium instead of just Pong, digital games, you know, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. 100%. And I think we're on the same level about that, right? Like, I think fun yeah. is just like a, an outdated word that doesn't mean anything. But if you are mentally interested in the story, if you love the mechanics of how some particular part of the game works, if you love exploring the world, if you love anything about this, if there's something about it that keeps you coming back, uh, even if it doesn't adhere to what we might think of as the Webster's definition of fun, that is like, <laughs> you know, like successful engagement. That's what I think we we are kind of like ultimately talking about. Um, and yeah. that I think is, is true. Like if you're not getting anything from a game like that, like you're just, I mean, if you've got some kind of 
compulsion. Someone's got a gun to your head and like, you need to play this game. And and if you don't, I'm going to pull this trigger and you're playing some game that you're, you're miserable at. Okay. That doesn't count. That's, that's something mm-hmm. you're just suffering through. But if you get to choose the game and there's like a jillion games out there, you should be spending time only with the things that are giving you some kind of value. Yeah. That value is a loaded word, but I, I do think it is a, it is a better one. And you know, one of the reasons why I started to bristle against the word fun is it, I I saw it leveled as a cudgel uh, online against a certain type of criticism that was, um, you know, the kind of games criticism and art criticism that talks about uh, context and 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 themes and history and and personal stories around the game and and tried to paint a. a either a more holistic or a more hyper-specific picture of that critic or that reviewer's experience with the game and seeing someone online go, okay, but was it fun? It mm-hmm. just felt very reductive and frustrating to me and was one of the things that got me to start thinking about fun versus engagement or you know, fun versus purposeful value. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm vibing with what both of you are putting down, although maybe I, I I have an idea that I'm probably a little bit on the more extreme end towards screw it. Nothing <laughs> needs to be fun. It just needs to be valuable. I mean, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying for sure. I mean, if I could just jump in for a second, like I, I yeah. have I have been hit by that same cudgel, right? Like I know, I know what that feels like to get beat by that stick of where there's this kind of like, uh, I don't know how rampant it is, but there's definitely like this vibe of like anti-intellectualism going around in the country, in the world, but also in games. It's been there for mm-hmm. a while where, you know, you start to talk about the themes, you start to talk about motifs, you talk about like how certain mechanics work and how those vibe with the story and like how things can go together holistically and not. And then you get people who are like, shut up, nerd. Is it fun? Like, oh, who cares about that stuff? And, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. OK, you, you're not my audience. Please get away from me. And I'm going to block you on Twitter right now. So I get what you're saying for sure. Like uh, fun and value. I mean, everything subjective is always subjective. And that's kind of the problem with it. But I think if you kind of mutually agree to say there is something more than just having a big smile as you push a button, there are you know, quote unquote, negative experiences, trying experiences, tedious experiences that can also be valuable, uh, of course, subjectively to a person. I think that's a good, a better place to start than just, oh, is it fun, dude? Yeah. (laughs) I, uh, I had a couple of experiences playing games recently that got me thinking about this again, and then why this turned into a full-blown like discussion on the podcast. Uh, so this is a good time uh, when you, when Brad, you mentioned like games that have sections that are tedious or frustrating that have value in that frustration or that tedium. Um, it's a good time to just bring some examples of of experiences that we've had that that like maybe they sucked in the moment. Or maybe you caught yourself in the moment going, this sucks. Wait, hold on. What's actually going on here? Uh, If you psychoanalyze yourself while you're playing video games at all. Um, Before I do this, I do want to say that like this this episode and this discussion, uh, since we're all on the same page here, that there is value in things that are not fun, uh, maybe even not enjoyable. Um, This is not to discredit games that are exclusively fun. I'm not here saying that Mario Kart sucks because it doesn't like it doesn't make you pull your hair out or something, even though it might, if you're, if you're uh, people you're playing with are better than you. Um, I'm not trying to say that those games don't have their place. Cause obviously they do. That'd be a ridiculous thing for me to say, but this topic was brought to my head as I was playing um, near 
Replicant, mm. the remake uh, recently, which I'm not going to spoil. Uh, it was a recent episode on Tales from the Backlog. Go check that out. Little self plug. Um, but that game is is famous, infamous for repetition and tedium to the point where the characters comment on it. And um, it, it actually did a real disservice to its sequel, which is not nearly as repetitive or tedious as that game is. Um, but it got me thinking because I think that that tedium in that game and um, this this opinion was kind of informed by talking with with Ryan here a little bit about it, that I think that there was intentionality in making it as repetitive and tedious as it is. And in the moment, I was playing it and thinking like, I don't want to play this right now. I want to play any number of other games that I'm going to have more quote unquote fun with. But looking back on it and seeing, you know, the purpose behind it and how it informed the story and things like that, I I actually came like all the way back around on that tedium. Mm. Now I don't want to replay the game, but now that I have (laughs) finished, I have the privilege of looking back on it. You know what I mean? So near is the first example that I'll bring here. So I know Ryan played it, Brad, did you play near or the, the remake? Uh, let me, can I just clarify really quickly? Cause there's like a lot of near, are we talking about the original one from like 360? Are we talking about the first remake or are we talking about the, the next remake after that? Which one are we? Are discussing? So I'm talking about replicant. The one, the one that I played was the one that was released like two years ago for PS4. Um, the remake of the original near, uh, okay. but it's, it's the same game. That repetition and stuff is still the same. Now, the original game has more frustration and negative experiences uh, some, from what I hear. But yeah, you did play it then? I played the original Nier uh, back okay. in the day, the very first one. And then I did play the next one, which stars uh, the female protagonist. Was it uh, 2B or what's her name? I think it's... Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, Automata. So, okay, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so, so I played not that one. one. No, okay. I played, I played that one with 2B and then I played the original one. I did not play the remake of that one. I didn't play the most recent one. Okay. Yeah. So we're all, this, it's a, it's, it's a lucky happenstance. We all played the same game here. Um, so that game is kind of infamous for the repetition and the tedium and making you question, why am I playing this? And now that I have the benefit of being finished with the game and looking back on it, I I think that all those hours where I was like, fuck, I got to go back to this level again, or, um, even the characters like, Hey dude, why are you doing this? Why are you, you don't have to do this? You know, um, this side quest or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that that brought something special to the story after I was done with it, even though in the moment I really didn't want to play it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, so I have not played the remake yet but i'm very familiar with the original near or at least um gestalt the dad near because you know yeah um, yeah, yeah. way back in the day there was dad near and there was brother near and we only got dad near but uh i i think dad near kind of um i don't know it it feels more resonant to me for some reason than than an older sibling Mm. Uh, so i haven't played the remake but what i will say is that um, I think I might prefer the older version that has the much worse combat. I, I only because um, so when when Platinum Games is doing like a jobber kind of game, it's like they've got the games that you know they've designed <laughs> and that they care deeply about, and then they've got the the games where they just kind of go out and do a combat engine for some folks for hire. It's just and a paycheck. Yeah. yeah. And 
I have discovered that those platinum games where they're just jobbers, it feels nice enough that I kind of forget what I'm doing, but I'm not engaged. And when I was frustrated with OG Near, I was paying attention. I was annoyed, Mm -hmm. but I was thinking about the game actively in that time. I was thinking about all of the bullshit that I had to go do in order to help save my my kid when I could have been just spending meaningful time with my kid instead, which is, mm-hmm. I think, a lot <laughs> a, a lot of what that game is 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 trucking in is, you know, how how far are you willing to go to save this person you love if it means taking time away from actually having a relationship with that person that you love? Mm-hmm. Um and so I've been kind of hesitant for for the new version of Nier only because I, I'm worried that, in fact, making the combat better will make the game stand out in my brain less. Yeah, I can I can vibe with that. So like the idea being that the the repetition, the tedium, the bullshit, uh, as you said, which is some of it feels like real bullshit at the time, it it's enhanced in your head if you're also so focused because like from what i hear about that old combat system if you weren't focused on it it would just be more it'd just be pulling teeth it would be just awful like yeah yeah you have to focus but also it is sluggish simple and unresponsive so it's like (laughs) there's there's this double-edged sword of you have to pay attention to it but also by paying attention to it you're really drawn to its flaws Mm -hmm. um you can't you can't ignore them you can't like paper over them if I could jump it's, in for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, you know, thinking back to the original Nier, uh, Dad Nier, which is my first experience with Nier. Uh, you know, I mean, you could play that game, I want to say like five times or something like that. That was the original goal. Uh, I mean, full disclosure, maybe I'm just like a, a casual noob or something. I only played it twice. And I'm like, that's good. <laughs> I got my experience and I bounced. Because I, for me... The repetition, and I, I know that's what they were kind of going for. The, the real value to me was seeing the different perspectives. Um, and Nier wasn't just about the repetition, but like they did a lot of like takes on other genres. There was kind of a lot of metagaming stuff going on, a lot of commentary on game design. And so that was what was really pulling me through. And I thought it was really interesting to look mm-hmm. at that game through that lens. And when they pulled the repeat trick of like, oh, no, no, you got to play it again. At first, I was like, what? And then you go through the second playthrough and you see things that are significantly different. And I'm like, oh, okay, that was really cool. I'm seeing a new pair of eyes that I can that I can use to see the world through and everything is kind of interesting and different. That was great. But then you like you go to the next one and like barely anything's different. They just want you to suffer through it. And at that point I'm like, no, I've got what I needed from this and I'm out. Um mm-hmm. kind of the same thing with the one featuring 2B where I I I they had already done that trick, right? Like uh, knowing the original dad near, I'm like, okay, you guys are gonna pull the same shit again. And they did. Like they made you like go through like <laughs> way too much. And it's like I know what you're doing because I'm hip to you now and I respect mm-hmm. it. I do. But also um, I only have a certain amount of time on planet earth and I'm not going to give you that much because I don't think you've really earned it. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think you needed to go through that game like four or five times or whatever it is. So I think that there is a point at which the returns on having a player go through that much suffering are diminishing. And maybe, I mean, of course everyone's different. Everyone's point is different, but for me, it's like uh, two times for maybe dad near like 2.5 for two B's near. And I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I just, I can't justify it. Yeah. It, it that is that everyone having their own personal line with that can sometimes make this kind of stuff hard to talk about because it's really interesting tracking 
the granular differences between the repeat playthroughs in near one versus the repeat the repeat playthroughs in automata because or automata i i've been infected by everyone <laughs> pronouncing it wrong for so many years that i that's just now but so like there are still new things in playthrough three and then uh in automata and then uh in four and five you can just kind of blast through them and you know that's not to say everyone needs to but with near one it's really just playthrough a and b that are significantly different from yeah, each other yeah and then in mm-hmm. order to get the ending e in order to get the fifth cutscene, which is a really cool thing but also um is ultimately just one more clip at the very end of the game that you can look up on YouTube, mm-hmm. Near One <laughs> makes you go through a couple of extremely bullshit side quests that I I fully believe are intentionally bullshit, but it adds hours and hours and hours to your play experience when you have already mined everything that the game has given you. It there's mm-hmm. there is nothing new anymore, and and it's a it's a much it's a much rougher putt. Um, and then going back to, you know, Yoko Taro's first game, Drakengard, um, that game fucking sucks. I mean, that game is so bad. <laughs> it's terrible. It's really terrible. <laughs> and I personally, because I am who I am and I get value out of games just by kind of like being an analyst and a historian and, and I am glad that I completed it. And there is some interesting commentary in kind of laying bare how shallow the Muso genre is uh, and also kind of like saying, hey, if any of these folks were actual protagonists mowing down thousands and thousands of people, you're going to be a pretty messed up, horrific person. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think that bears out into a 30-hour game experience, but (laughs) – it was a very interesting thing for me to encounter of like, oh, oh, this game is bad, but this game knows it's bad, but not in like a gross, like Matt Hazard, uh, oh, we're just parodying this, but it's bad way. It, it, it was, it was trying to go harder than that. And I really appreciate it in the abstract for that, even if I would never tell anyone to play it in fact i would uh point to the text or the text and picture let's play archive of uh of dragon guard uh if anybody wanted to experience it secondhand um there is a there's a really fantastic uh text and image only let's play of it that that is a lot of fun nice uh you mentioned uh youtube which is kind of like i i use this all the time um if i if I feel like I've gotten what I want to get out of a game, but I'm not at the end yet, I will use the YouTube cheat code uh, without shame or anything like that. I will just say, you know what? Fuck this game. I'm gonna. I'm still interested in the story, but I am not interested in playing this at all anymore. Um, and if it gets to that point, then I will just watch the ending on YouTube. Um, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up because e- even if we are going to talk about kind of negative experiences that have value, I I still want to be a proponent of, hey, if you've reached your personal limit, go watch it on YouTube. I am not going to think any less of you uh, for doing that. Or don't watch it on YouTube. Just put that shit down and move on to something else. That's cool too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I second that for sure. I mean, I think any game has to be 
a value proposition. And again, value is subjective, but you know, like, like again, like I think, I think that we talk about on my shows all the time is like, we're not going to live forever. I wish that we did. I would love to be uh, an eternal vampire in my basement going through my backlog of 10,000 games. And if I had enough time <laughs> to literally play through them all, I, I think I would be okay with that. I would eat some dudes and, and, and in trade to finish on my backlog. I think that would be fine, but that's not reality. Right. And so yeah. we're only going to live so long and you have to really prioritize what you want to play. And I don't know how old you guys are. I mean, I'm, I'm 47, so I'm, I'm past like the midpoint and I'm kind of on the downslope, but now you got to really prioritize what you're going to play because mm-hmm. you know, every day is a gift, man. Every day is a gift. You got to be thankful for what you got. And if I'm, if somebody gives me a game that is like intentionally wasting my time, or if I feel like maybe I'm not vibing with their artisticness, right? Like I, I think that they've got a point to make and maybe I can acknowledge that. But also if it's going to take me 500 hours for them to make their point, I don't feel like that's worth it to me. So I think everybody has to really do that value proposition, value slash mm-hmm. time on earth proposition. And I, no shame. Like I have YouTube stuff before where I'm like, I like your story, but I do not like your gameplay. I'm not going to sacrifice my time on earth for you. So I'm just going to jump to YouTube. No problem with that whatsoever. And I would definitely encourage uh, people to not feel any shame at all. Like whatever works for you is what works like full stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting talking about it because I've kind of determined uh, through years of therapy that uh, my, my, uh, dogged willingness to engage with things that waste my time is maybe a war against my own mortality. It's just like, no, I do have time to actually spend this way, even though I know <laughs> uh-huh. I don't. But it's interesting because I I don't shame anybody else for doing the YouTube route, but just for me personally, once the controller is no longer in my hands, it's at a remove for me, and I don't feel like I am experiencing it in the same way. So like, you know, mm-hmm. Everybody who wants to should YouTube the final three endings of Nier, but it couldn't have been me. I I had to do it all myself, and I'm glad I did, even if that is uh, taking precious time that may have been better spent in other places. Yeah, there's there's certainly games where I've um, YouTube the ending and felt great about it, and there's certainly games that I played to the end and wished I YouTube the ending for. So <laughs> it's 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 always a um, a roll of the dice whether that's going to work out or not. Um, yeah, so we've, uh, I, I brought up near Ryan brought up Drakengard as another example of, uh, games that don't, are not fun, uh, all the time. Brad, uh, what's it, what's a, a game that's either like just, just straight up, not, you know, happy, happy fun, uh, that you think is like super worth your time or, a, you know, a game that is fun sometimes and super not fun sometimes, but also worth your time. Well, I got a couple, a couple different ones. Uh, I'm actually mm-hmm. working through, in other waters right now have you guys played this i have yeah yeah so in other waters i have another one that kind of is a, a dovetail with this but in other waters I, I i played it when it first dropped and i bounced off it really hard it felt like an excessive waste of my time uh and i just put it down but mm-hmm. then citizen sleeper came out uh recently and that was ended up being my game of the year last year i thought it was the best game put out uh in 2022 mm-hmm. like by by quite a margin and that was the impetus for me to go back to in other waters since that was their first game Citizen Sleeper being their second. And I'm like, okay, I saw so much value. I loved so much of what they were doing, the ideas, the premise, like how they were approaching game design. Like I was in, I was in on Citizen Sleeper so hard. I need mm-hmm. to go back to Enter the Waters and get past myself to see there's got to be more good stuff, right? There's got to be. And I'm almost at the end of it right now. And I got to say, it has not been fun, like even remotely fun at all in any, in almost any sense. The only thing that I'm really getting from it is A, 
I want to learn more about the developer. So that is my personal motivation. And every time I see something they've done, a choice, Mm -hmm. a decision, a way they've implemented a menu, how they've had, um, you know, some, I I mean, I think ultimately this is their, their shtick is they want to have visual novels grafted onto something with a little bit more gameplay. And I think that this was their first attempt. I do not feel it was very successful, but I get what they're doing. And for me to see what they're doing and to figure out what they're doing is the value proposition for me, right? Like I'm interested to see how they pull that off. And also, I think the writing is really good. They've got great Mm -hmm. writers over there. And I think the story is interesting. So although I absolutely can't stand the gameplay at all, it's one of, (laughs) it is the second slowest game I've ever played uh, Mm. in in my entire life. And I've been playing games since games have existed. So I've played a lot of slow games. This is number two. And I just, uh, is the first one everybody's gone to the rapture? (laughs) <laughs> no there is no 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 i have a game that's even slower than that i assure you i can wow. I, i'll bring it up if you want if you want spoilers i'll tell you what it is um but <laughs> i just like it, it's it's nails on chalkboard for me to play this game but i'm so invested in getting wringing every last bit of the goodness out of it and it's like it's like a it's like a, a three-week-old lemon right you want to make some lemonade and you got to squeeze that lemon and it's dry brother there's nothing it's like rind <laughs> nothing there you gotta like step on it roll it around throw it in the microwave you're getting a couple drops but you're never going to get that lemonade out of it and i've just accepted that but i will get those drops god damn it i will <laughs> <laughs> I played that game too, and I, I I think I enjoyed it more than you. But I I agree, it's not it's not a super fun game to play. I was definitely in it more for the the mystery and the story of figuring out like what the fuck's going on on that planet that you're yeah, on. Yeah, um, it, It's interesting how that game it, it takes you the players so far away from like feeling that you're a part of the game. It feels like because it, it's so heavy on interface. Like if if anyone's never played in other waters but is like seen a screenshot it's like you're you're looking at like the inside of a a super high-tech diving helmet or something like you what you're seeing is not what the character is is not what's right in front of the character you're seeing like a a screen interface basically and so you like you just move from place to place and you know collect some stuff and move from place to place and read some dialogue and move, read some more dialogue. So it's not a super fun game. Um, and I think it's a good example for this episode uh, because like like you said, the story is interesting. I thought the mystery was really uh, compelling by itself, um, even though like moment to moment, no, it's not fun. No, no, farther. I mean, you're not even moving in that game. You're watching a dot go from, from dot to dot to dot. Right. Like this little dot is moving. And you're just staring at these like screens. Like I get it, right? The layers of abstraction have a purpose. I get it. But at the same time, on a visceral level, it is so boring and so slow. Oh, <laughs> I, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was a game I played uh, right before bed. Like I quickly circled that as a game to like, hey, get in bed, play this for 15 minutes. You'll be tired when you're. Oh, it'll knock you out like past (laughs) real quick. Like, and I enjoyed the experience of using it for that. And I enjoyed reading about the story and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes about all I could get through in a single session. Yeah. I feel you, man. I feel it for sure. For sure. You know, Brad, uh, you mentioned this impulse to be like, Oh, I want to see this developer's first game. I want to see what came before. And Mm -hmm. that, really resonates with me um both just uh, on a developer to developer level and and a creator to creator level but also just kind of the grand arc of the design of his or, or the history of design um so um i've recently been trying to um engage again with 
Tower of Druaga, which is an ancient, oh ancient <laughs> Japanese arcade game that is um, one of the most influential games of all time. If you uh, go back and read interviews of like all of the iconic nes designers and even up you know through a more modern age but it, it, it if you ask them the game that they were trying to emulate when they made zelda when they made um you know certain dungeon crawlers they go back to tower of druaga it, it it was it was such a phenomenon at the time that it was released and um it really birthed a lot of the action rpg and the action adventure genres and also is one of the primary examples of like playground logic that is one of the most fun things about like the community of video games like you know from talking about zelda uh on the playground with folks you know finding the 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 hidden items all the way to um community projects like fez or um you know the witness where everyone was kind of coming together and sharing tips and tricks and 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 the tower of draga in the arcades each arcade machine um had a giant like blank notebook that um different mm. players would write down hints so the kind of the loop of tower of draga is you're um ascending this tower and in order to complete the game you need to do several very obtuse things um one obtuse thing on each floor to find a hidden item and if you don't do the right random ass thing on the right floor to get the right item then you will reach a point where you just cannot progress and um it is not fun to play anymore but i <laughs> went back in and i was reading old interviews and i was reading a couple of like blog posts that tried to um really put tower of Druaga in context and even though i was not actively enjoying the verbs of the game i came away from the experience saying oh I get how we can get go from Tower of Druaga to Zelda to to Dark Souls now. Like I I I I get why this was such a phenomenon even if I can't recreate that experience one to one and even if I'm not having capital F fun that's not for everybody. Not everybody mm -hmm. is going to care about the history of video games. Um I wish more people did. Uh but you know that's not that's not for me to decide. Um, and so it was It was a really interesting thing because I was like, you know, I really had to dig to find the value. But everyone was telling me, hey, this game is extremely important. It's extremely valuable. It was doing really groundbreaking things. Everyone bit off it. The folks who bit off it managed to do it in a way that was more just like baseline playable and enjoyable. And that's a good thing. And we can leave Tower of Druaga in the past, but also the past is still alive and people can go back to it if they want. And and so I was really um I I, I was really engaged by that entire experience and I'm glad that I did it. I mean that sounds I mean it sounds miserable. It also sounds awesome because I do the same thing too. <laughs> like I will um often go back to somebody's like their gameography right and i'll just find what was the first game you did what was the second game you did like you know like sweary 65 is one of my favorite developers mm. um, and you know just seeing how they got to where they are and then seeing their past games and seeing the evolution and the choices and stuff so even if those games are not great i mean like you said like me coming back to fun since that's the topic of the show the fun is just the self-improvement of oh now i understand this arc of develop development or, oh, now I can see how this one idea that was really crudely presented back in the day and was miserable to play with and ate all my quarters and made me so mad 
inspired somebody and then that led to something better that I liked more. And just knowing that I think is, is kind of fun in it of itself. So even if you're not mm-hmm. getting mechanical fun, you're getting like intellectual fun or like spiritual fun. If you want to go a little deeper, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you reminded me of when I played dear Esther for the first time, um, because I had just uh, walking Sims are a, an example of games that are not always super fun in the traditional sense. Right. Uh, there are some that I think are, but some that are definitely not. Um, but it was, I played a couple of highly regarded walking Sims and then it was like, well, maybe I should go try the first one, dear Esther, which is not a fun game in the slightest. You are, it is the most basic form of that kind of game that there is, uh, in my opinion. Um, but it was interesting to go back and kind of see it. And this is a kind of like subset of this discussion that I didn't anticipate coming up. So I'm glad it did like the, the going back to something that you know in your heart of hearts is probably not going to be super fun, but you do want to see it and experience it uh, to have a more re- well-rounded view on this, you know, this hobby that three of us love so much. Uh, so that's that's a good thing to bring up. Thanks. Yeah it it it's uh it's it's one that's very near and dear to my heart as as a person who's always trying to kind of like peel back the layer and try to find more and more context for you know why things are the way they are now how they got there why i am who i am um and so yeah that that kind of like um archaeology can can be a really valuable thing if that's something that you're interested in yeah yeah agreed um another walking sim this is another game that i brought to this and i I was trying to think of a walking sim that's that i like because i don't like dear esther um that's not fun uh so like Firewatch is pretty fun, I think. Uh, Gone Home is a fun game. Um, what Remains of Edith Finch, very fun game sometimes. Uh, the Beginner's Guide, not a very fun game, I don't think. <laughs> but it's a walking sim that I really, really love uh, because mm. of the thematic material and the story that's going on in that game. But that is another one of the walking sims where you're not exploring a house, you're not moving from vignette to vignette, you're just walking through a series of these kind of prototype video game levels um which is is cool to see like that kind of like museum tour i guess of stuff like that but all the what you're just hearing dialogue and you're oftentimes just walking from one side of this level to another or something like that or walking up a set of stairs where you walk infinitely slower and slower as you're trying to go up um but even though the gameplay in that game is it's not fun um i think that that's that's like a a really good example for me personally of a game that like I'm not engaged on like a gameplay level in the slightest in that, but my mind is so engaged with what that story is talking about. And it's a, it's a game about, you know, how you have parasocial relationships with creators that you follow, um, or, uh, just famous people in general, people you consider to be famous, uh, which is probably much worse now than it was when the beginner's guide was first made, which is kind of crazy to think about, but that's like a a prototypical example. I think of, um, of a game where I'm like not the slightest bit engaged by what my hands are doing, but my, my brain is so engaged by it that it's a game that brought me to tears, uh, when Mm -hmm. it it got toward the end. It's Mm -hmm. ironic that you bring up the beginner's guide, um, because it was a huge, 
it was a huge moment for me um, at Game Critics, and in fact, all of the other people who were at the site at the time. I think I'm the only remaining member of the original crew that we had for for many years, but mm-hmm. um, we all really hated that game, like with a passion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that was the first Steam game I ever refunded too. I believe I, f- I I hated it like really. <laughs> we did a whole podcast on how much we hated it, uh, <laughs> but I think it's a great example, right? Everybody's value is different. You said you weren't in, involved in the gameplay. I get that. But you really got value out of what that person was saying, whereas mm-hmm. it made me want to puke and I just couldn't even stand <laughs> it anymore. But, you know, you got something out of it and that drove you through it. And I, we went, <laughs> we did play this game all the way through, but I think it was more of a hate play. And I don't really recommend those because I think they're bad for your soul. But mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, it just goes <laughs> to show how how fun, how value, how this engagement proposition can be so different for so many people, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know it's it's interesting in 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 our little in our little note stock um sorry in our little in the document that that Dave prepared in 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 getting ready for us to have this episode um <laughs> monopoly is mentioned and this is the most doki doki fact and so I'm sorry for everybody who already knows this and is rolling their eyes but um <laughs> Monopoly is a fascinating example because the people who actually designed it were it was called the Landlord's Game and it was um it was designed by leftists who were trying to show how unfair BS and unfun the idea of landlords are and mm-hmm. uh the grand irony being that uh Parker Brothers then um it, monetized the exact same game and turned it into the most popular board game in maybe you know if we're if we're discounting things like chess and go uh which are their own kind of thing maybe the most popular board game in the world for a long time and no one liked it (laughs) but (laughs) it's it 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 lost its initial purpose and 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 so, you know, I think the idea that that a game can be used for more than fun goes back a really long time. It might be a relatively new thing in video games, but but it it's it's there in the medium of games, you know, maybe since forever. That's an interesting point. I, I do hate Monopoly, but I do wonder if and I don't know anybody who really likes it either, right? Like, you know, you bring it out at a party or something and people kind of groan, but everybody still plays anyway. I think the <laughs> I think the hidden fun of Monopoly is like you just want to screw your friends over so bad, right? So it's kind of a really nasty kind of fun. But I do yeah. think there is some kind of fun to be had there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh I, I had I had written Monopoly down in here as like so if we're thinking about games and what were games before video games, because we we use the same word when video games were invented, they became video games instead of just regular games uno is a game monopoly is a game sports are games and all of those are things that you're supposed to have fun doing or in monopoly's case you're supposed to fuck over your little brother because that's what you do (laughs) and and so like i i'm glad that we're all kind of we we quickly uh it didn't take us all 15 minutes or however we are however far we are now to arrive at the fact that like fun isn't the point engagement or taking personal value out of it is the point which is what you do with with art uh no one would criticize a a film for saying that it's not fun when it was probably not made to be a super fun movie in the first place it's why the the marvel movies that i think suck i think they suck because they're not fun and they're supposed to be fun Mm -hmm. um not all of them i'm not a huge marvel hater just to get that out of the way but like (laughs) 
this this thing that keeps popping up where people are saying like, well, if you're not having fun with that game, why are you playing it? It's because I'm getting something else out of it. And even if like at this point, as a person who does a podcast about video games, even if I'm in hour 18 of Eastward and I fucking hate that game, <laughs> I'm getting the personal like academic enjoyment of figuring out why I fucking hate that game, which is something else. It's not something that everyone who plays video games is doing or should be doing, um, but it is what I'm doing. And I, I, I find that personally interesting too. It kind of goes back to that playing Drakengard just to experience it or uh, playing the arcade game that's that's super outdated and super obtuse. Um, that kind of thing brings value too. And again, I'm glad that we all kind of quickly moved away from the word fun as being the object in the first place. Mm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, and that's really the core of it, right? Like whatever you get out of it can, can make any kind of experience worthwhile, whether it's, you know, playing something that is just really grindy and, uh, and, and arduous, but if you're getting something out of it, you know, like for example, mm -hmm. um, gosh, like, like Metal Gear Survive, you guys play Metal Gear Survive? I did not know. I've, uh, I've, I haven't played it myself, but I've watched, uh, a, a couple of let's plays about it. Okay. So I actually love that game. I think it's actually mm -hmm. like a hidden gem and I think people have given it kind of a bad, uh, reputation for reasons that really have nothing to do with the game. We don't need to get into that here, but you know, it is very much a survival game where you start the game and you're hungry and you're starving and you're thirsty and you've got constant diarrhea and you don't have any place to sleep and it's just, it's miserable, right? But mm. to get through that, you have to like just, just scratch with your fingernails to get like basic resources and you know, you get a little lean to going and you find, uh, you know, like a, I don't know, a piece of fruit in the desert or something like whatever like you, you take about a cactus or something whatever it is and like by the time that you get a base going and then you get like you know armor and guns and a vehicle and all that stuff you've already put like all this time into it and you've suffered through a lot of stuff that is quite honestly pretty miserable i mean having mm -hmm. a character who like <laughs> doubles over with diarrhea every 45 seconds is not fun um mm -hmm. <laughs> but i think that in this particular game you had to have the bad in order to have the good because if you had just started off with a base and a vehicle and guns and stuff you wouldn't really appreciate them in the same way. And I don't, I don't mean this to sound like some kind of like old timey thing of like, Oh, you got to work hard for what you got. Like, I'm not trying to do that, <laughs> but like, but just as a comparison, because then like one of the greatest moments in that game is when you find a potato and that sounds ridiculous, but like you're starving, you don't have anything you can grow. You're spending a lot of time just like hunting and gathering. It's kind of miserable, but you can see like the light at the end of the tunnel. And when you finally find this one potato, you're like, Oh, my God, I've got a fucking potato. I can take it back <laughs> to my patch of dirt and I'm going to plant this thing. And then all of a sudden I got like six potatoes and then I can live. And I, you know, like, you know, you just, you got to have the, the bad that goes with the good. And I think ultimately that's part of the beauty of that game is if you can get through the, the worst parts of it, it just makes the good parts even better. And it does get to that. So I think in, in that sense, putting up with something that is ostensibly terrible on its face really, really, really does pay off. Yeah, you just reminded me of um, a game I'm playing right now that people told me not to play because I wouldn't <laughs> enjoy the beginning, which is the original Baldur's Gate. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that you spend the beginning of the game swinging and missing more than swinging and hitting. And the same with Morrowind too, which is one of my favorite games uh, from when I was in high school. I uh, played so much Morrowind. That game sucks to play at the beginning because you can't hit anything. Uh, you're mm -hmm. just swinging and missing and dying a bunch. And you have to go through that in order to appreciate being a fucking god at the end of Morrowind, or so I hear at the end of Baldur's <laughs> Gate Two. Uh, so mm -hmm. you you kind of brought that back, like so. I'm I'm playing the original Baldur's Gate now, and yeah, it kind of it wasn't 
super fun to watch my characters swing and miss and not hit these rats in the in the tutorial but like i'm able to get past that because i know it's not going to be like that forever you know quick side note just like really really brief tangent um, yeah. It is actually really hard to hit rats with a sword. I have tried it. I have done it. It's very, very difficult. I got a lot of rats where I live, and I have no problem killing them. Sword is not the way to go. If you can kill rats with a sword, you're kind of a badass already. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So Baldur's Gate, one of the more realistic video games out there. <laughs> Unknowingly, super realistic. Confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, the yeah. just briefly about Baldur's Gate as well. The really interesting thing about Baldur's Gate one to me is that if they made that opening combat more fun, then it would be a failure of what they were trying to do, which was recreate the uh, AD and D. Is that two point five or three point five? I never remember. But that, second edition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it. So yeah. The AD and D two point five. Um, they were re- they were trying to recreate the tabletop experience on computers and early level second edition D&D is also not fun. There's also those, you know, tons and tons of swings and misses. And so that becomes this proposition of, okay, do you do you want the experience of like rolling up with your adventuring party in Dungeons and Dragons or do you want a just good computer game all the way through people are going to fall on different ends of that i think that Baldur's gate one is really valuable because they do such a good job of um doing as best as they can to create a dungeons and dragons experience on the computer Mm -hmm. do uh both of you guys uh want to just run through some lightning round some more examples of uh games that have really not fun parts or games that are just not super fun, but otherwise very valuable um, experiences. Uh, yeah. I mean, I got one. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how valuable it is. Maybe not so valuable, but I think, uh, I think Sekiro <laughs> is a good example for me. Are you guys familiar with Sekiro? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Are you guys fans or are you not fans? I am a fan. Yes. Okay. Complicated. Okay. Co- it, uh, <laughs> complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. I love that. I love that. It's complicated for me too, because um, I'm a big FromSoft fan, been playing FromSoft games since since way before Souls, right? I've been following them their entire um, North American career. And when I finally got to Sekiro, I was like, okay, I feel like they're going in a direction that I'm not super keen on. Really prescriptive, really demanding of reflexes. They really leaned hard into that whole parry thing. And that just not the zone that I play in, really. So I mm-hmm. suffered through that, but I had fun. I had fun. I thought character design was great. I liked some of the levels, some of the concepts, some of the actions, really cool. But then you mm-hmm. get to the the, la- the last boss, um, the final boss. And that was so profoundly capital N, not capital F fun for me. Mm-hmm. I bounced. So I did the entire game, did everything, did all side quests, except for a couple of those other crazy whack hard bosses. But that last boss, I didn't roll credits because... It just got to be such an unfun thing for me. It, it stripped away the parts that I was enjoying and I was not prepared to devote that many hours of my life to getting past it. So I think maybe that's for me an example of something that was fun or fun like. I mean, Sekiro is not an easy game. It's not a, not a joyful game. It's, it's pretty brutal in a lot of ways, but I was getting value from it, right? Like I was enjoying it. I could get through it, learning moves and just kind of seeing what From was doing. But that last mm-hmm. boss to me felt like such a profound kick in the balls that I just did not want to put up with it and I didn't want to engage with that anymore so that for me was like the line to be crossed where i no longer see value being proposed here i just see like torture and an arbitrary skills test so that was kind of my out but otherwise 
the rest of the game I thought was really good. So kind of flipping it on that. Mm-hmm. I guess it's um it's a lot worse when that that kick in the balls at the end of the game and not the beginning, yeah. as opposed to the the <laughs> games that we just talked about before. Right. Yeah, it felt like a kind of a betrayal for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had almost the exact same arc with Sekiro as you did, Brad. Uh, and and it it was really it it kind of showed me how fickle uh, adrenaline and dopamine can be because mm-hmm. when when the arc of climbing the wall, learning how to climb the wall, falling down, learning how to climb the wall a little bit more, falling down and finally reaching the summit, when that hits, there's intense satisfaction. There's just like that white knuckled, like, you know, your body feels hot because you're just yep. like so excited yep. and tense. And I loved it. But then as 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 soon as the returns on adrenaline and dopamine began to diminish right at the end, I started hating the game. And mm-hmm. It was a very strange experience to go from conflicted love, like to just out and out rage. It, it was not, <laughs> it was not worth it for me at a certain point. Yeah, agree, full, full agreement. Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, what's uh, what's some other games that we have that are um, bringing things that are not fun that are bringing value? So I've got a couple. Um, mm-hmm you mentioning dave you mentioning um walking sims got me thinking about the evolution of the point and click adventure game which mm-hmm. it started out as these uh really goofy and obtuse puzzle games that you know the 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 gameplay was in exploring the environment enjoying the dialogue and then and then trying to figure out what the developer was thinking with these puzzles and then that people were like mm, maybe this isn't really the best way to design a game so let's take out the more hateful puzzles and then uh post walking sims it was like well maybe we can actually use the 2d point and click to create a um to create a 2d walking sim essentially and um one game that is in my you know just like top of all time list uh if you take its entirety into account is um kentucky route zero which Mm -hmm. is magical and engaging the entire time and i'm going to do my best not to spoil anything specific here because it's a really story heavy game i don't want to i don't want to mess that experience up experience up for people but in one of the later episodes one of the playable characters their movement speed tanks and it's for a plot specific reason and it wears on you it, it the game is not super fast paced to begin with but when one of your player characters starts moving so much slower from point to point across the screen it is you feel that time but the game wants you to feel that time and it wants you to be frustrated and wants you to feel how horrendous it can be to 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 live in this particular body and how and how frustrating it can be to live in this particular body now if the walking speed was that slow across all five episodes and and the interludes i think it would be robbed of his power but um Mm -hmm. in in taking the regular movement speed away it at a certain point, it really hammered a lot of the themes home and made it a much more powerful experience. Yeah, totally agree with that with that game in particular. And that's 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 a good example of something that there have been quite a few people I've talked to who say 
Um, I really wish I liked Kentucky Route Zero. Um, I want to know what it is that everyone praises it for, but I just can't play it. It's mm-hmm. it's not what I want from a game. I I personally I, I love it. Um, that's it, it's a really good example to bring to this, but it is one that I've heard so many times that people are when they come to a video game, Kentucky Route Zero is not giving them what they want from a a game. You know. Sure. Sure. That's me. I didn't get anything from it. <laughs> I did not like it at all. But I respect it. I mean, I, I respect it to doing something. And so many people tell me exactly like you guys are just like, you know, it's it's something is valuable. It's wonderful. There's these interesting experiences. And I, I respect it. And I believe it. I don't think you're all trying to like have one over on me. But man, I could not find anything uh, to connect to in that game. Really mm-hmm. disappointing because I had been looking forward to it for so long. Mm hmm. Something that I would, um, if we're talking about slow walking speeds, yeah. if you guys don't mind, I would like to circle back to the slowest game that, that does exist in all of oh, creation. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and I guarantee you, you've never played a game as slow as this. It's called The Longing. You guys know about it? Oh, mm-hmm. I remember seeing that. Um, that's kind of like that that idle game that came out like last year or two years ago, right? Kind of an idle game, but not really. So basically yeah. what this is, it's based off of, I think, some Norwegian folktale, I think. I, I, I might not be specifically right. But anyway, it's about a story, uh, you know, the king under the mountain, kind of a troll king. Uh, he needs to go to sleep for, uh, I forget how long it is. I want to say it's like a thousand years or something like that. <laughs> and he, uh, he he creates a little troll and you are the troll. And he says, hey, man, um, I need to regain my strength or something. And he's like, please wake me up. Okay, it's not a thousand. It's a, it's a year. It's like 365 real time days, real time days. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so please wake me up. And then he goes to sleep. And then you're left by yourself with no one else in that in this network of caves to simply spend 365 real-time days until it is time to wake up the king. Whatever you choose to do in the next year, go crazy, because you're going to be spending a lot of time on it. Not only do you need to spend 365 real-time days, there there, there are tricks to it, I will say, um, because I did finish this game and it didn't take me a year, but you walk so in, indescribably painfully slow uh you can be on one screen i played this on the switch it can take you so long to get from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen god help you if there's stairs or a ladder <laughs> or anything like that because you're looking at like you know quad the investment it is the most extreme exercise in patience i've ever seen in my entire life um but i did find value in it. Number one, I was really, really curious as to what was going to mm-hmm. happen when that year went by, right? I wanted to yeah. find out. And that powered me through <laughs> so much tedium, so slow. And the thing that was worse about this game um, was like, there were things to discover, right? There was little secrets here and there. There was little interesting bits. But to simply get there, it took so long that, and the developer knew this, like he knew this. It was it was all part of the design. You would be like, okay, I remember there was a crystal on the east side of the cave I want to get to. I can get there now, uh, but I find myself on the west side of the cave. Uh, it's going to take me maybe like nine real-time hours to get there, so I'm going to start walking, and then I will just put my switch down, and then I will go live my life <laughs> in the real world. I'll, I'll be with my family. I'll watch a movie. I'll make a movie, and then I'll come back to the game, <laughs> and then he'll the little character will just be getting there at that time. So it kind of becomes kind of like a little check-in game, which is almost like an idle game. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, that was just like misery in a little package um, with a little bow on top. But I did finish it, and I do think ultimately 
Uh, there was like a lot to like about it, but you, you, you had to be in a very specific mindset, which I think is probably pretty close to insanity. But if you can get there, <laughs> pretty good stuff. It seems like a perfect game to come out in 2020 when everyone yeah. was uh, by themselves uh, for an extremely long period of time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like we were on lockdown and stuff. I was feeling that so hard. Like it was, it got real meta real quick on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I I have a couple others that I wrote down as as games that are just just not super fun or otherwise like stressful. Um, to the Moon is a game that I think is really great, uh, but not fun to play. Like partly because it they set up some puzzles and stuff that are really simple, but I also think they're bad and it it turns out to be like not super fun to go through. But I do love that game in its entirety. Uh, to the Moon, and then the other one is Papers Please which is just kind of like a misery simulator and every decision you make is the most stressful decision you make at some point uh, because you can fail that game and have to start it over from the beginning. And even if you're making good, helpful decisions, they don't always end up being good and helpful. Uh, So it's, it's just a real, like, kind of like you said, Brad kick in the nuts every now and then, uh, and then some (laughs) lighter taps on the nuts uh in between <laughs> it's just not a super Nut fun taps. game but it, it's Nut really taps. really great because that's what that game is trying to be so i i appreciate um that game is trying to like manufacture this this stress and this push and pull that your character is feeling and i think it's great for that but it's just not fun to play and i've heard as such from uh from other people I, I appreciate that because i do not want to be kicked in the nuts but i don't mind getting tapped in the nuts <laughs> <laughs> You you know what's funny is that um I like Papers Please, but I came to it after Cart Life. And Cart Life is doing a lot of similar things. It's 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 not about life under an arbitrary totalitarian um regime. It is just about life under um the struggles of 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 capitalism. And um it is like a really hardcore economic simulator plus extremely brutal adventure game where you have to make really horrible decisions and you're crushed under the weight of the fact that you can't keep this business up and when i came to papers please and there was like a quote-unquote fun like spot the difference mechanic i was like oh they're this is too much of a game. This is, you know, I <laughs> g- give me cart life. Give me, give me, give me the misery simulator. Um, I, I, and it took me a little while to warm up to papers, please, because I thought that it was swinging too much in the fun direction for what it was mm. trying to go for. I eventually came around, although I do still prefer cart life as far as those types of games go. Gotcha. I want to do a quick plug for a, an episode of Tales from the Backlog that will be in the past now when this episode comes out that I'm guessing that people probably saw the title of and thought, I don't know what that game is and skipped it. But it's along those same lines. It's called Silicon Dreams. And it's the Blade Runner interrogation with uh, Papers, Please type pressures uh, or mm. cart life type pressures. Uh, so you are kind of interviewing these androids and manipulating their emotions and they're likable androids. So you feel bad for manipulating their emotions, but you got to get the information out of them and you are constantly put in those positions. Uh, so that's another game that like it, it's all text and it's all reading and like the things that you're choosing to do are not fun because you are 
like I said, a lot of them are likable and you're doing bad things to them to get information. Um, and I, I think that that's another one of these, like the things that I'm making, the things that I'm doing and the choices that I'm making are not fun, but I am getting a lot of really great story and thematic material out of this. Uh, so and I think that like, in a way, video games are uniquely situated to do that. Uh, that other media just can't do it the same way. And for me personally, to that same effect, uh, because I'm not the one making the decision to make this robot cry uh, so that <laughs> I can get the information that I need. Um, so that that's I just wanted to plug that. Um, that's a, a game that I loved uh, playing and talking about, um, but not because it was fun. Mm, I'm looking forward to that because I have not heard of that game and that seems extremely cool. So yeah. I'm looking forward to the episode. So I think this is a good time to move into our community submissions. Um, I put the call out in the Discord server uh, for people to give their example, their answer to this question, do video games need to be fun? And give an example. Tell us how you feel about that. Uh, this is one of the many benefits, I think, of joining the Discord server that the uh, podcast network has. Uh, we would love to have everybody. It's a really great community. So I'm putting the plug right here uh, for it. You'll find an invite link down in the show notes. Uh, we would love to have you. And then in future topic discussions, you can make yourself heard. And I'll get us started uh, with the first submission. This is by Mask Keaton. Keaton says, uh, to the question, do video games need to be fun? Yes, a video game needs to be fun or else people won't play it. Um, it can be educational as well. But if the player isn't having fun, it won't hold their interest. Uh, Desert Bus was a parody game that was part of a Penn and Teller game that was intentionally not fun, and there's a reason that game was scrapped. Uh, yes, tedium, getting lost, etc. have their place. A good blend of frustration and reward makes the reward so much more satisfying, kind of like we talked about earlier. Uh, Celeste is known for its difficulty, but the satisfaction of besting it is an amazing sensation. Thank you, Keaton. Uh, and we we didn't really talk about those games that are like, really difficult and get over the hump. Uh, we talked about it a bit with Sekiro and that kind of like that feeling you get when you beat a tough boss. But Celeste is a great pull for a type of game like that too, where if I, if I'm dying on the same screen, like 30 times and I want to throw my fucking switch across the room. Uh, but then when I beat <laughs> that screen, I'm like, Oh hell yeah. I I'm, mm -hmm. I'm actually awesome at this game. You know, it's interesting that mask Keaton um, brings up Desert Bus because the really funny thing about Desert Bus is that post scrapping, it took a lot, it took on a life of its own through streaming and became fun in a different way because people mm. were having fun hanging out together while playing this incredibly boring game and broadcasting <laughs> that. And so, you know, the game as designed wasn't necessarily fun, but it, it got a new life being incredibly fun for lots of people watching the game. Mm, yeah. Sorry, Brad, it sounded like you're about to say something before I moved on to the next submission. Oh, no, that's okay. I was just going to say like along the same lines of Celeste, uh, something that comes to mind is uh, 1001 Spikes. I don't know if anybody's heard of that one, but mm -hmm. it's very much that same sort of thing where it's incredibly hard, like punishingly hard. But when you do get past the screen, you just feel like so glad that you figured it out and you got past it. And that was for me like the Celeste before Celeste. Mm -hmm. 
it's interesting thinking about Celeste in terms of like, you know, cause it's, it's not a Kusoge, but it has um, some things in common with it, but it's tweaked just enough to not only be a bullshit thing where the <laughs> whole point is memorizing the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's neat. Yeah. Agreed. So uh, soccer writes in and says, I have a friend who used to take the position that whether you had fun was all that matters. I more recently heard someone who did some market research for the industry say that despite the numerous reasons people come to games, what they are looking for more specifically is to be engaged. I decided that rings true to me after reflection. I spend some evenings slamming my head against the wall, experiencing loss after loss in Splatoon, but it doesn't turn me off of the game or keep me from coming back. But then, maybe it depends on your definition of fun. All that said, I am not really interested in playing anything that I perceive as tedious. Thank you, Soccer. Yeah, thank you, Soccer, a valued patron of the the network. Um, those those multiplayer games are interesting. I had the same experience with Rocket League, where I would spend entire sessions of Rocket League being pissed off because uh, I just couldn't do anything right. <laughs> and then I would have entire sessions of Rocket League feeling like I'm Michael fucking Jordan and like... <laughs> just feeling incredible about myself and i assume that soccer keeps playing rocket or uh, splatoon because they're getting that same feeling sometimes of like hell yeah i kicked ass in that match you know something interesting that soccer says that i think is something that we've touched on many times so far in this discussion um at the end where they say i'm not really interested in playing anything that i perceive as tedious Again, mm-hmm. it's all about the perception because uh, I find Splatoon to be painfully tedious and I would never want to play it again. But, you know, even for them, they're losing, but they're still probably refining their technique. They're probably seeing techniques other people are doing. They're getting in and just having fun doing that, quote unquote fun. Um, so I think that's really the value for them. But for me, my perception of that is like I would rather literally do anything else. I'd rather go like, I don't know, like. Uh, wash the grout in my bathroom or something rather than play Splatoon. <laughs> so again, it all comes down to what you think, what your perception, what what your values are, right? Mm-hmm. All right, let me go to the next, uh, next one here. This is from Randall, who is a patron. Uh, it says, a video game's purpose is to be enjoyable. If not, it fails as a game. That is by definition alone. It's acceptable for a game's story to elicit negative emotions, but that's distinct from gameplay being frustrating. Um, I don't... <laughs> If I understand them correctly, again, I think we're coming back to just what is your definition, right? I mean, they mentioned mm-hmm. eliciting negative emotions, um, but that's different from gameplay being frustrating. I don't know that I agree with that part because I think that you can get negative emotions from frustrating gameplay, but that could be by design. It could be uh, leading towards something that does have a point, kind of like I mentioned earlier with Metal Gear Survive. So I think I think we're basically on the same page, but I don't know that I agree with uh, with that altogether. I I think I agree with you, Brad. Um, You know, Randall, very entitled to uh, their opinion here. Um, But what's interesting is that I think that what games can provide that is special is what Dave talked about, where um, it's the integration of what you're doing with your hands and the decisions that you're making and also the story and, and vibes and and the interaction between all of those things and and so i've definitely gotten a lot of value in things where the gameplay itself was frustrating um and how that blends can blend with the story itself it's it you know we've thrown off a lot of examples here of things that that do that for us but also 
there are thousands and thousands and thousands of games. And so the, the, the amount, I think, that the number of games that manage to successfully communicate important and meaningful things through frustrating gameplay is probably really tiny at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it yeah, exists, yeah. but it's it, it's a really tiny sliver. Yeah, that's a that's a distinction that like I, I think we tried to arrive at. Like I, I think I mentioned it at the beginning, but like I'm not really talking about the value of games that set out to be really fun and you know kinetically awesome and then just suck. I'm not really like putting value on those games. It's the ones that like again, this was inspired by Nier. It's the ones where the director or the creator was saying, like, you're not gonna have fun doing this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not having fun doing this, but I'm finding <laughs> value in uh doing this. Um next up is uh Chris N, another patron, OG patron. Thank you, Chris. Uh Chris says, yes, tedium, frustration, etc. have a place, but they need to serve a purpose. And I think that that's obvious as we've been talking. Um, poor game design aside, those things need to be motivational uh, and rewarding in some way. See the opposite of Korok seeds. I think Korok <laughs> seeds are fun. I, I think they're rewarding. I get to hold one more sword. <laughs> yeah, no, no notes. Uh, so uh, Bryant, uh, also a patron, writes in and says, the notion of tedium has been on my mind lately while playing through Hogwarts Legacy. While overall it's a great game, I find the amount of time I spend in menu screens tedious and not respecting my time. There are tons of tabs that show exclamation marks until you can go into each tab and clear them. Brewing potions is on a cooldown timer and you can't do anything else while that timer is ticking down. It's systems (laughs) like this that need to go away in games. I should be experiencing the world of the game rather than navigating boring menus. Um, Thank you, Bryant. I agree with your overall concept um that there are things there are extra game things that can feel a little uh progress questy and like you're just doing a whole bunch of um completely tangential cleanup and um don't really have anything to do with um you know the 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 main verbs and thrust of the game and those can be really annoying to deal with again we Mm -hmm. get into subjectivity soup because i really like weight limits in rpgs and i really like inventory (laughs) management and that is a huge example of something that's like what Bryant is talking about that a lot of folks really hate. And um, if it's, if it's done intentionally, I really like having to manage um, inventory in a menu, but I Mm. do not like uh, a whole bunch of exclamation marks that I have to clear in a menu. um, Yeah. Like in Assassin's Creed games, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Sorry. Go ahead. The uh, the Hogwarts Legacy example there just seems to me like, again, not purposeful, uh, making you spend a bunch of time in the menus, and then it's just going to be up to whether you like spending a bunch of time in menus or not. And if you don't, then you're going to find that to be tedious and take away from your experience. Yeah, you know, along those lines, I am not a fan of encumbrance. Uh, that's not a bit of realism that I often enjoy, but I do really enjoy, I savor uh, some of that inventory management when it comes in a very specific form, uh, you know, kind of like when you're doing the the Resident Evil like item box when you've got a gun and yes. some bullets and stuff or also in uh, Dredge, which I just played recently. Uh, 
which I which I loved. Um, you have a boat, and you can only fit so many things on your boat. You've got a couple fishing poles. You've got an engine. You need to have your bait, and when you catch fish, you got to fit them in your boat. And it's like this little, you know, it's like the the Resident Evil inventory, or kind of like like you know, non moving Tetris or something, where you've got to fit the fish in a certain way, turn them mm-hmm. the other way. I mean, something is just so satisfying about that to me. So that I am a sucker for any game that brings that to me. I'm down for, and I think that is a a kind of intentional gameplay that can be definitely seen as extremely tedious. I mean, in fact, I know a lot of people who just outright hate it, but for me, I mean, there's even a game where that's all it is. I think it's called, yeah. oh, I forget what it's called. That's called where Save all it room. is. is Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. Save room where it's literally just the Resident Evil item box. I thought that was so fun. I had the best <laughs> time with it. Um, I want to, I want to shout out, uh, this is not because this is fun to me. Um, one really, uh, bizarre example of inventory Tetris, although this is more upgrade Tetris. Um, there's a game called Resonance of Fate. It is a tri-ace action JRPG. Um, and the way that you upgrade guns in that game is you get put onto this giant like grid menu and the gun is in the center and then you just try to graft as many scopes and clips and other things as you can <laughs> you can uh, try to fit as many on the gun within the grid as you possibly can in an incredibly unrealistic way but it is so engaging and fun to me to be like well i can put i've got a little space i can put the like fifth scope up right up in that upper left corner and 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 get a little more stats to my gun and that Mm -hmm. is a blast to me that sounds amazing i want to play that (laughs) literally right now (laughs) the rest of the game uh your mileage may vary but that mechanic (laughs) i love all right fair enough fair enough uh i think i'm next i'm next aren't i yep yeah uh, let's see here. Matt, also known as Stormageddon, who is a patron and also on the Fun and Games podcast, says, this is a fascinating question considering fun can literally mean anything. I think they, in parentheses meaning negative experiences, definitely have a place, but I don't often enjoy those moments. That said, The Last of Us 1 and 2 are incredible games that I'm glad I played, but for all those reasons that we'll probably never go back to. The sense of dread after part two I felt ruined me for days. I am um I am playing The Last of Us Part 2 like currently as we're recording this not while we're recording but you get it um and <laughs> I I'm having the same kind of thing like it is, I I think it's a very well designed video game and I'm it is just often extremely tense and I am I don't want to walk through the next door because there's going to be some something bad coming and that's that's all I'll say about it there's going to be an episode and all that but I I get it uh, as far as the last of us part two, um, the last of us part one, I would replay that. Cause I, I guess maybe cause I know what happens and I'm not <laughs> like, I, I, I don't feel the same way about that, but I get it. Like playing a game that's going to be like emotionally stressful. If that's not what you want out of replaying a game, I get it. Um, next up is Chris D a patron. Thank you, Chris from a novel console podcast. Chris says video games can certainly not be enjoyable because enjoyment is individual. Hey, there's that, uh, that, that theme coming up again. Um, I have not enjoyed tons of games that other people love just like games or just like other people have not enjoyed games that I love. Um, I'm at an age where if I find tedium, boredom, or frustration in a game, I give up and play something else. The closest I feel to anxiety is tension. And when tension hits just right, it's very enjoyable. Uh, Getting lost is just part of being a gamer, unless it's uh, because the map is designed terribly. So uh, thank you, Chris. This is kind of back to something that Brad said earlier in the episode. Like, 
sometimes you you get to a point where you're just like, hey, if this game's boring, I'm I'm not playing it anymore. I'm going to play something else. I don't want to be bored. There's definitely a line there. And of course, as we've as we've touched on it many times and as many of your uh, very astute patrons and listeners uh, have have said, it's, it's different for everyone, right? Everyone's line is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, though, just as kind of a side note, getting lost in a game, probably one of my all time least favorite things ever. And if a game repeatedly gets me lost, I'm I'm out so fast because to mm. me, unless it's like. You know, it's something like uh, like Elden Ring, you know, where you get lost, but also you're finding stuff and you're fighting interesting enemies and you found a yeah. cool sword. And, you know, there's like it, the density of that experience. You may be like, quote unquote, lost, but you're also finding things, discovering things, finding new moment to moment value. But in a game where it's just like, OK, I just need to find like this key and I don't know where it is or I just need to get to this new village and I can't figure out which way through the woods. And you're just like mm-hmm. burning your lifespan, spinning your wheels, not making any progress. You're just straight up just like bad kind of lost. That is like one of my my quickest ways out of a game. Absolutely. Mm hmm. It's a very delicate balance. I often say that getting lost in video games is one of my absolute favorite experiences. But I'm never talking about like, okay, I need to like scour these walls to find the last key that I apparently just like passed by and now I have to comb over every square inch of this dang environment. (laughs) I don't like that at all. So I should modify my getting lost as one of my favorite things. It's... um. Hollow Knight, the vastness of that world for, you know, most Metroidvanias are like between five and 12 hours and Hollow Knight is like a 30 to 50 hour experience. And um, they purposefully withhold the map from you until you go and find the map maker and um, you can drop into a totally like you you can fall down a hole into an area that's going to take you hours to climb out of. And that resonated with me so hard because one of the things that I loved so much about original Metroid and Super Metroid are that feeling of being lonely and overwhelmed and not knowing if I'm going the right way and Mm -hmm. just having to kind of like inch forward until I get more familiar with the environment. That's one of the things that games does for me. And so it's, it's, it's such a fine line for me between good lost and bad lost, because like, yeah, like you said, there are certain times when it's just like, okay, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm just going to go look this up because I've, I've been doing this for 45 minutes. I would like to go to bed. I would like to have some fun before I go to bed. (laughs) I hate this. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. I mean, I think Hollow Knight and Elden Ring are, are good lost. And mm-hmm. just like, you know, oh, man, these hallways all look the same. And I need that one door that I passed 20 minutes ago. And I cannot find my way <laughs> back there. That's that's bad lost. Yeah. yeah. Brad and I were talking pre-recording about um, the last door and kind of uh, point and click adventures in general and how sometimes you'll just be like, kind of like you said, there's a key that I need and I have to literally pixel hunt to try and find it because I've been in all these rooms and I didn't find it. And that... That's bad lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Adam B., who is also a patron, says, uh, engaging is not the same as fun. Games must be engaging. Pathologic is the go-to answer here. But for me, it's Papers, Please that encapsulates, quote, not fun, but riveting, end quote. Um, love both those games. Um, Pathologic is also one of those games that makes me feel... Uh, like, oh gosh, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if I'm pushing forward in the right way. I don't know what to do and mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed by it. And it, because of the 
strangeness and hostility of that game those two things work hand in hand so uh shout outs to adam b for two great examples mm-hmm. yeah right on i uh pathologic is really high up on my my two playlist i haven't got around to it yet but that kind of describes what people have told me about it and i'm i'm, I'm definitely all aboard i do love papers please as well and i don't know i kind of just keep getting hung up on the whole the semantic difference between fun and engaging and riveting because I do feel like being engaged is fun. I like to be engaged. That feels good to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like being riveted to something. That is also a good thing. So I guess, it, again, it all comes down to like how you use the word, what you think of as the word, because right. it seems like some people want to draw a pretty hard line between fun and other types of like fun and engaging, not the same thing. I totally get it. And I, I respect what that person's trying to say, but also I do kind of feel like they're related to me. So I don't know, maybe it's just my broken brain or something, but I feel like they're, they're right next to each other for me. Yeah. I, I think t- for me, the difference, like when I was first thinking of this topic is like the, the fun of playing, um, I can't think of a fun game, the fun of playing F zero or something where I'm like, yeah, I'm going super fast versus, the engagement of playing papers, please. Like both have their place, but they're definitely not the same thing. You know? Yeah. What if, what if like the amount of adrenaline is really the cutoff? Are you feeling adrenaline? If yes, that's fun. <laughs> if not, then it's engagement. Yeah. I don't know. Unless you're unless you're um fighting Sword Saint Ishin at the end of Sekiro. Ah, that's right. just that's bullshit. That's what that is. <laughs> it, you know, it it is interesting that that folks, including me, are making these hard distinctions. And I think it might come back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode where fun can be used as a way to dismiss games that aren't that kind of like you know that kind of fun that dave's talking about where they want to kind of just like poo poo how do i put this um yeah, I I feel like sometimes the folks who are like, no, it has to be fun, and not none of your lovely patrons or or contributors here. I'm 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 talking internet chuds. Uh, use <laughs> like, oh, it's not fun as as a way to just kind of like crap on art games. Uh, and that is what frustrates me. And I think that's mm-hmm. why I I like to draw that distinction. But but you're right. It is they are you know there's absolutely a Venn diagram overlap between all. All these terms that we're using there you mm-hmm. go venn diagram yep. yeah and, and also that you said chud made me laugh that is really funny <laughs> <laughs> it's a good word it's a really good word it's a very you know it just it summons just the exact right mental image i mean for me and obviously for other <laughs> yes. people so good word good <laughs> yeah. word um let's go to the i think i'm next here and yes. i help me out here is it <laughs> i want to call it i want to say p boy okay i was gonna pie, say p boy but i don't know if that's right uh, pie boy. Thank you. Yes. No disrespect of any kind. Um, pie boy says, I would say that all these negative feelings have a place in games and they don't need to be fun. Games like any art can be richer if they make use of the whole emotional palette. Games like hollow Knight can make me lost. Sunless sea can be tedious, spelunky frustrating. And that's part of the appeal. Removing those aspects to make them more fun would make them less engaging to me. Yeah, I mean, I think, that, again, I think we're just we're coming back to the the I think the universal truth that we have uncovered on this podcast where the engagement really is part of the fun or can be seen as a fun. And mm-hmm. and these games that they describe, I mean, Hollow Knight, Sun the Sea, Spelunky, all of those can be real hair pullers if you're not in the right zone. But if you are in the right zone, they can be super rewarding experiences. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad that Pie Boy brought up art and how 
art can use the whole emotional palette as as they said and that's that's something that i wanted to like i wanted it to come out sometime today i'm sure we mentioned it earlier but now i'm starting to forget what happened an hour ago um but it's it's true that if you let's like let's take hollow knight because we talked about that if you never had to go find a map in hollow knight and you just automatically uncovered the map as you went like you do in a newer metroid game or something then i think that game would lose something and that Mm -hmm. that act of moving forward when you literally have no idea where you're going um you don't get when you open up the map screen it's just black there's nothing there um that is stressful but it's valuable and it adds a lot to that experience because then when you find the map maker or when you hear him humming, uh, you're like, fuck yeah, there he is. I'll go try and find that dude and get myself a map. Um, and, and I agree. Um, <laughs> Spelunky, uh, good, good example of a game being mm-hmm. frustrating. Yeah. I want to briefly shout out pie boy because, uh, on the, um, in the internet spaces where pie boy and i both hang out uh we are often uh dapping each other up for each other's opinions and i <laughs> I, I, I dap pie boy's opinion here too also yeah <laughs> no disrespect to all the p boys out there either <laughs> <laughs> true um next uh next up is adelaide adelaide says uh, my wishy-washy non-committal answer is yes games need to be fun but they don't need to be fun for everyone that plays it Things that can be fun for some people and not for others, uh, that's fine. I like playing dumb PS1 horror games and uh, that are arguably bad, but so bad that they're good. Um, that's another thing we didn't touch on, the so bad that they're good uh, type of game. Uh, cheesy PS1 voice acting makes a game fun for me, but it's not fun for everyone. And that's okay because there are more games than you can ever play in a lifetime and more keep coming out all the time. Everyone keeps touching on this idea that uh, your idea of fun and your idea of value and your idea of engagement is all subjective, but it would have been a total cop-out to just throw that at the beginning of the episode. So I'm glad that it started (laughs) to come up, you know? Um, So thank you, Adelaide. Uh, I agree. Um, Those I've watched Adelaide stream some of those PS1 horror games. They look fucking awful. I'm never playing them, but I love watching Adelaide play them uh, because that's fun. Uh, So cool. Thank you. So the next one... uh Moonborn, uh, also a patron, says, I was going to quote the Total Biscuit adage that uh, has been living in my head rent-free for a decade that says more or less the same thing. Games don't need to be fun. They need to be compelling. Um, Thank you for that, Moon. Yeah. And I agree once again. um, Something was compelling me to continue playing through Nier when I was hating the minute-to-minute of what I was doing. And that's, that's the point, right? So I agree. Um, let's see here. Rick, who is a patron and also on the Pixel Project radio podcast. Rick says, if we are to assume the premise that games are an art form, then they must be allocated the complete and full spectrum in which other mediums thrive. Just as music or dancing needn't be pretty to be effective, games too can be unenjoyable while still having artistic merit. Opposing this notion is a disservice to the platform and to its audience as well. The lack of traditional fun is not equal to a subpar work. Yes, agree. Fully agree. Yeah. Yeah. You've got some smart contributors and and listeners to the podcast and some smart patrons. Yeah, absolutely. Um I and I I know Rick um really enjoys the game Lisa uh, the Painful, which mm. is a game I've heard people talk about a lot as being something that you know 
a lot of people would consider to be one of their favorite games, Rick included, and a game that is like I've heard described as profoundly not fun, but not really the point, I think, uh, from what I know about that game. So yeah, agree. Couldn't agree more. Rick, always on it. And uh, the last contributor is Chris, uh, another patron from the Retro Hangover podcast. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Chris, uh, along those same lines, as games are art, games don't necessarily need to be anything at all, let alone fun. Uh, what is Again, what is fun is also subjective, so making that a term or any other term a mandatory requirement for any type of art that's meant to be consumed is futile. A game is meant to be what the artist means it to be, which I would say answers the second part of the question. Um, like, do those other experiences, negative experiences, have value? As long as it technically functions and achieves the vision of it, the artist, then it should be considered successful on its own merit. And I agree. Um, I, I believe a little bit more in death of the artist than uh, Chris, it sounds like. But I agree with the overall notion that, no, it, it's art. It doesn't need to be anything. It doesn't need to be fun. It doesn't need to be pretty. It doesn't... Uh, need to have any specific thing in order to be successful. Um, although, since games are an, an interactive medium, just to bring it back uh, all at the end, we have decided that they do need to be engaging in some way. Um, but that's that's because it's a game and it's not it's not a painting. Uh, that you you're the player, you have an active role in this, so it does need to be engaging in some way. Uh, whether it's engaging from the story, from the gameplay. Uh, from your own personal curiosity, like we talked about, um, or any other number of reasons why you might be engaged uh, in a game that you're playing. So uh, thank you, Chris, uh, once again. Um, you all have anything to say about uh, that one before I go into the uh, the sign-offs? I mean, I definitely agree with Chris. I, you know, art is art. Games can be art. I mean, I think for me, that's been settled long ago. But I think oh, yeah. the interesting thing about that is, like one of the earlier commenters said, there's a million games coming out all the time, right? And so if you are not getting engagement or fun or, you know, interest or any kind of or adrenaline or whatever else from a game, I, I mean, I definitely would encourage people to do find something that does give you that feeling. Now, that's not to say find something that is straight up fun, but like find something that does engage you. Maybe, maybe you're going mm -hmm. to find a Kusoge that you think is just so neat, or you're going to find some massive core platformer that is just shredding your balls. But like, you really <laughs> like that the platforming when you, when you pass the screen or something, it doesn't matter what it is, but like, but by all means play something that is engaging you on some level. And I think mm -hmm. ultimately that's what I think of in my head is fun. I think engagement to me is fun, but whether we go with that definition or any other definition, I think we're all kind of in agreement that you must be getting something from that experience. If you're getting nothing, please do move on. Don't waste your lifespan on that. And there are so many other experiences, so many other people out there that are making great games that are worthy of your time. Just find something that connects no matter what it is. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, I think that that's a really um, that's a good summary. And, you know, yeah, don't want to give this comment short shrift just because it came at the end of the comments. And because, yeah, I, I, I agree uh, basically completely. And um, the thing that I've kind of discovered is 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 a bane on on a good game is is blank time is time where um when you look back on it you're like what did i even do what was happening mm -hmm. you know it um just like empty empty backtracking and traversal to no purpose um you know get, getting lost because of poor level design um and just 
you know, to, to kind of summarize, yeah, a, a lack of engagement. And there, it, I do want to draw a hard line between frustration, tedium, negative emotions, and blank time where it was like, well, I got absolutely nothing out of that. You know, I'm not reflecting on anything. I wasn't, you know, having fun. But on top of that, it didn't make me think or feel anything either. It was just kind of a nothing. Like Mm -hmm. that is, that is, I think, the line to be like, yep, you can, you can put that stuff down. Yeah. Let me, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Empty calories. Exactly. Empty Mm -hmm. calories. I mean, that, I could not agree with you more. Uh, and one thing that I say all the time on my show is that, you know, a game should end when it runs out of ideas. So whether that's five mm-hmm. hours, 50 hours, 500 hours, whatever. I mean, I've played games of all those varying lengths where they keep having something to show you or they want you to experience something or to learn something. And as long as that's still happening, I can play a game for infinity as long as I keep getting some kind of experience out of it. But like you said, mm-hmm. if they, if they repeat themselves and don't offer anything new or if they give you some task which is clearly arduous and meant to just pad out the playtime, like walking from one end of the map to the other and you lose your airship and you got to just walk and there's nothing interesting happening along that way if it's just dead air like you said i mean that to me is the the kiss of death so i mean don't waste my time and you can give me whatever you want it can be fun it can be arduous it can be terrible it can be stressful scary anything but but make me feel something if there's nothing going Mm -hmm. on if it's just the simple physical act of me pushing a couple buttons while my life ticks away. No, sir. No, thank you. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's a good um, kind of final thought to, to wrap up on that. uh, Obviously we figured out in the first 10 minutes of this recording that no, of course fun (laughs) is not the only thing that you should be getting from a video game. Like the, the question when you, when you would pose the question, do video games need to be fun? Maybe people's first instinct would be well yeah of course but not really like when when we started talking about it of course the answer is no the video games have so many other things that they can offer but they do need to be offering something and i think that that's kind of the the point that we can wrap up on and um whether or not a game is giving you something uh, that you value is a subjective thing. And again, that would have been a cop out to just, it would have been a five minute podcast if we had just said that at the beginning. But I I like the kind of little details and nooks and crannies that we took this discussion in, um, in order to arrive at that, that final point. And again, thank you to, uh, to Chris, uh, being the last, uh, write in, for for kind of guiding us onto that. And thank you to everybody who wrote in. Um, I appreciate everyone who took the time to write out such thoughtful responses uh, to this um, question. Uh, so thank you to um, all of the people in the Discord server, all the patrons. I love all you very much. And Ryan, Brad, thank you too for coming on the show um, to talk about this with me. Uh, this has been a great time. And at the end of the show, I always want to give uh, the guests a, a plug um, for their shows and everything else that you're doing. Again, I'm going to put links down in the show notes for podcasts and for um, gamecritics.com for you, Brad. Uh, but where else should people find you if, if they want to find anything else that you're doing? Uh, well, yeah, thanks for the gamecritics.com uh, call out. Uh, been there for 23 years, uh, hopefully for 
23 more and 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 maybe even more than that still mm-hmm. doing the Soviet games podcast we do it once a week you can find that on basically every service where podcasts are found otherwise i am on twitter uh for whatever that's worth these days but on basically every social media platform i've dipped a toe in some are more active than others but wherever i go you can always find me it's the same handle all the way across it's my name it's b-r-a-d g-a-l-l-a-w-a-y all a's no o's and so whether it's on instagram or you know co-host or spatable or twitter or whatever i'm pretty much all across there so track me down say hi would love to interact with you and uh if you want to listen to the show or visit us at game critics that would be just peachy and ryan yeah dave thanks again for inviting me on and thanks brad for such a great discussion this has been a a a lot of fun um even if there wasn't much conflict it there was a there's a lot of great (laughs) um yeah a lot of as you said dave a lot of great nooks and crannies that we went into um you yeah you can listen to lightning strikes thrice uh it that is on the pitch drop network uh if you like final fantasy 14 and or if you just want to know what the story is all about and how it tries and fails at being an anti-colonial work um and you have a dollar a month uh the pitch drop patreon pitch drop dot cash uh i'm also on a show there called icons and icons um that's I-C-O-N and then E-I-K-O-N, which is a, a little Final Fantasy joke. Uh, <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's a buck a month uh, on the Pitch Drop Network. We also have uh, some anime podcasts on there uh, that are fun and a couple of other like fun podcasts just on that greater network. Um, obviously, uh, patronized Dave's podcast first and 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 then mine um but uh yeah you can also find me on social media i post sparsely at uh weep lord that's uh like weed lord but crying instead of drugs (laughs) (laughs) awesome well um again i I said it at the beginning of the show i'll say it again at the end of the show uh that i i appreciate the work that both of you do uh lightning strikes thrice i'm really looking forward to the next game that you are uh, tackling on the show Um, and so video games, I'm looking forward to the next 12 games that I'm going to hear about on the next (laughs) episode of your show. And, um, if you are into written game review, again, check out gamecritics.com. Um, just, you know, a little uh, peek behind the curtain. We're, uh, recording this on dredge release day. So I read a very good review that Brad wrote over there this morning. Uh, so again, thank you, both of you, um, everyone listening. I appreciate you all very much. Um, I've, I've given enough plugs for my stuff. Uh, I will just say, listen to my other show if you want to hear me talk about stuff that's not video games. Uh, that's called A Top 3 Podcast, and we do top three lists, and I think it's a good time. So this will be the end for this episode. Thank you, everybody, again for listening. Tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog.